0: We're going to take a moment now to pray. And we're going to pray for the world and for people in our own church. We have had nine households get COVID over the last 10 days. So I'm going to pray for them and also pray for what is going on in the world. So let's pray together. (laughs) I'm not sure if the solution is going to be much of a solution. Anyway, we'll pray. And if we close our eyes, then we don't need to (laughs) see what's going on. Loving God, we thank you that you are with us. You're with us when the sun is shining. You're with us when the rain falls. You're with us in good times and in bad. We pray this morning that you would be there. Comfort those of us who are grieving, who mourn. Comfort those of us who are struggling. And who have questions. And God, we pray this morning for those of us within our church who are battling COVID. We pray for your protection and your healing hands on them. And God, we also think of the world and the situations that we see daily in the news. We pray for the Ukraine. We pray for peace to come. We pray that the grain. That is in the port that is so desperately needed by people around the world, that, that could have safe transit. And God, where there are world leaders who want to dominate and to take over other countries, we pray for peaceful resolution. As leaders struck their stuff and threaten nuclear war amassing weapons, we pray for peace. God, we pray that you'd give strength and courage for those who fight for peace. And now, God, we pray that you would meet us in this place this morning. Come and speak to us. May we know your reality among us. Amen. We're going to sing the Lord's Prayer and hopefully a lot of you might know the words to that so let's stand as we sing that together
1: about to say he a told My love. Maida Flakato Maida <laughs> Blessed are the poor in the spirit Theirs is the king Asking me well Asking me well but this yeah. is the key Of heaven, they will be filled. They will be filled. This is the kingdom. This is the kingdom. This is the kingdom of heaven. Asking me. This is the kingdom, this is the kingdom of
0: yourselves a seat. High drama here today. Let's give a hand to the amazing Steffi who has managed to yeah maybe up a bit yeah managed to uh dive almost save a projector (laughs) but has it going again. Well done Steffi. Today I'm going to be reading a passage in Luke, which is known as a hard passage. So this is, they have, oh, this is going to be interesting. Just imagine the cable catching that. Um, Thanks, Paul. Right, so follow along with me as I read from Luke chapter 12. Maybe too high, guy. (laughs) Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take guard and be on your guard against covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So this week I read a Christian thinker and his comment on this particular passage, and this is what he says. Passages like today's gospel are often called the hard sayings of Jesus. Hard sayings, it seems, are any that call us to do something we'd rather not do. In this case, Jesus is rebuking those who store up treasures for themselves. How easily his followers today ignore or rationalize his teaching. So many of us think nothing of saving money, storing up treasures for retirement, for a college fund, for the future, why it's, oh, it's just good stewardship. And Jesus was talking about the rich, not about us. But we can't get off so easy. Jesus' warnings ring as true today as ever, and it applies to our wealthy culture, perhaps even more aptly than it did to first century Palestine. So here we're going to wrestle, what does it mean and what does it mean in our culture? What does it mean in our lives? To wrestle with this passage, that true meaning and fulfillment is not going to come through all the stuff we own. I saw a, a strange story this week, and uh, I think it's almost the opposite of uh, the story. It's from the New York Times. Brooklyn clergyman is robbed while delivering Sunday sermon. A trio of armed individuals robbed Lamore M. Whitehead and his wife of jewellery worth more than $1 million police said. This is a man who says he's following Jesus, who says not to store up treasures on earth, and he has a million dollars worth of jewellery that he was wearing that day. Now, I don't know if he's started quickly exaggerating how much they cost for insurance payout. There are some people that say he's a crook anyway. It's, he probably put the, the thieves up to them. You can actually see it because it was live streamed. If you Google this, you can see the thing. What's really strange is there's a guy sitting in a seat like there, just sitting watching. everyone else in the church is screaming, and there's a guy just like, "Oh yeah." But anyway <laughs> they only steal the pastor and his wife's jewelry. It's really odd. But here we go, I initially was like, anyone in that church needs to run a mile, he's fleecing his flock, like how does a minister get a million dollars worth of jewellery? An Anglican priest I know in Wellington's like, if I'm ever wearing clothes or accessories, that is enough to buy a house, it's like, or even a car, or to pay off your student loan, or whatever, feel free to rob me. <laughs> how is, how's, apparently he owns a few businesses on the side, Maybe that's where he's getting his wealth. I hope it is. I hope it's not from his church. But here is a word, I think, that talks to this whole situation where people uh, have too much stuff and it's flashy and God is saying, you know, through this passage, Jesus is saying, this is not being rich towards God. Hoarding is just being rich towards yourself. Some of you may have seen this new TV show, Sort your life out, in Z, And in this show, uh, families or individuals that think they have too much stuff in their house get a team that come in and they have to pack up all their stuff and then they go and lay it out on the floor in a huge warehouse and then they have to get rid of half of their possessions. So these are people who have identified we have too much stuff. They have to get rid of half and there are tears and people are finding it hard and they can't let go of all their stuff and the producer, the New Zealand producer of this show says, most people have thousands of things in the house they don't actually need. We just see things and buy them, then you end up in a situation where you haven't got enough space to put those things. Then you start crowding out your life and it can get so bad you end up using rooms as storage. It's estimated every house in New Zealand contains around 64,000 items. 64,000. Back in, the, back in the day before the earthquakes, I remember in the months leading up to the earthquakes, I read about this movement in, Ameri- um, in America and I think around Japan as well, to have 100 possessions. So it's a challenge that people did. Now I know that most people have 64,000. Kind of see how hard that would be. 100 possessions. I remember having conversations with Paul. What would our 100 possessions be? Paul has a favourite knife. Is it a cleaver? And Paul reckoned that could be used for multiple things. So we were doing our list. What would we have? What clothes could we keep? 100 items. It kept bothering me this hundred items, and I kept thinking, I should cull some of our stuff. I should cull, and I didn't. And then the earthquakes came, and the house we were in was pretty much destroyed, and we lost most of our stuff anyway. But it was this interesting kind of nudging. You have too much stuff. What do you, what do you have all this stuff for? And the house was bowled down with all our stuff that was in it. Kind of, why do we have all this stuff that just becomes a burden? I don't think I missed anything, particularly like someone did creep in and they found a photo, a few bits of pieces, but mainly, you know, didn't mind, and then we just started in the next house we lived in. The process begins all over again. You start having more and more stuff. I love Trade Me. Anyone who knows me will know my love of Trade Me, and then stuff comes into the house. When we lived in Auckland, uh, when I was studying... Uh, we got, as part of living there, a house. And the house came with um, a double garage. And we noticed one thing in Auckland. Nobody uses their garages to park cars. And that is because everybody's garage is full of stuff. Garage just becomes a means to put things. I mean, it's helped by the fact that there's no frosts and so you don't have to sort of scrape ice off your, your windscreen... But wherever you go, even in rich neighbourhoods with fanciest cars, they're parked in front of the garage. Huge garages just filled with junk. Now when in Rome, do as the Romans do, we lived there and very quickly we had a double garage filled with junk. And Auckland had this amazing thing where it was inorganic stay and people would just put stuff out on the street, and anyone can come and collect it. We happened to be, on that day, driving through era. It was a good time. <laughs> <laughs> we just opened the car, and people were running out. I remember someone came running out with a full Thomas the Tank Engine beautiful wooden set. Quick, before my son sees, have it. <laughs> sure. We got all this fancy stuff. When we left Auckland, we sold, cleared out, and sold all this stuff on TradeMe. Made thousands of dollars. Came back to Christchurch, lived off it for a, um, a couple of months until I had scholarship money come through. But um, we moved to Christchurch. We lived for a few years in this very small house. So, our family of three, for about five years, lived in a 65 square metre home because I'd just done this minimalist course. And I was like, finally. Finally, I can be free from possessions. Let's live tiny, in a tiny house. And then when COVID came, we are like, it's very hard to live in a tiny house. Let's move into the vicarage. <laughs> <laughs> I was um, live streaming from home. It may have looked quite serene. I'd be in front of the camera live streaming. And then I'd step sideways onto the Lego. <laughs> oh, because it was so small. So we are like, let's do... Uh, COVID in the vicarage, and the tenants gave notice at the exact same time, so we moved in, which was good. But the vicarage is big, and it's got a double garage, (laughs) and lots of bedrooms. And I don't know where the pieces of furniture breed. I'm not quite sure how it happens, but once again, we have managed to fill up a house. Soon we're going to move into another small house, and uh, we will have to go through this horrible exercise all over again. How does it happen? I don't think I'm alone in being a person who has too much stuff in our house. There's a theologian, Jason Biassi, and he says this. We constantly forget what's valuable. We need to remember not to rush after what everyone else rushes after, and we must constantly urge ourselves towards the one thing that actually matters, intimacy with God and all that God has made and longs for Luke's gospel illustrates this perfectly the fool has a bumper crop and tears down the barns to build bigger barns none of this is foolish here's what is not sharing that excess with others that very night the fool's life is required and what does he have to show for it some bigger barns that he can't take with him I think this is the challenge that I find it easy to forget. Every dollar that I'm spending on stuff to fill the garage with is a dollar that's not being given to help people who need food, who need support. And this is a challenge and something really hard in our culture. Wherever we turn, the messaging we get over and over again is that somehow our lives aren't fulfilled unless we get this one thing Other messages we hear is that stuff is scarce and we need to hoard, which is crazy. There's huge shops full of stuff, but somehow we get this idea. It's gonna run out, it's scarce. If we don't get it now, maybe we'll never get it. And it's years of marketing, years of cultural expectations that kind of lead us down this rabbit hole of feeling like somehow we need the stuff We feel this panic welling inside us. What if we don't get it? There's an interesting man um, in the world. His name is Chuck Collins. He's an American. And his most recent book, he's written a few, is called The Wealth Hoarders, How Billionaires Pay Millions to Hide Trillions. He's written a number of books that explore our attitude to money and how we end up being hoarders Several decades ago, when he was 16 years old, his dad sat him down and informed him, you are a trust fund kid. Your grandfather was a very successful business person who created a business empire and you are going to inherit a trust fund. You will never have to worry about money again. So he was 16 and he didn't touch this money but he was fascinated by the world around him. And he became friends with people in some of the poorest part of his city. And he saw the charities that were working with these people never had enough funding and never had enough money. And at age 26, Chuck Collins gave his entire inheritance away. Now, his parents were Christians, and they were alarmed by this. And his dad sat him down, and he said, Have you become a Marxist? Are you... Rejecting your privilege, you know, what is this that's going on? And Chuck Collins said to him, You can call me a Gandhian, as in after Gandhi, or you can call me a Christian, but I'm not a Marxist. Here, I think, is this fascinating story with a dad who considered himself a follower of Jesus, who saw his son being generous with his wealth and who rebuked him for it. And I think we would all do the same. Don't be such a fool. Chuck Collins then moved into the neighbourhood with those he'd got to know, and he just lived a normal life. He's now set up some organisations, which I think are interesting. There's United for a Fair Economy and Responsible Wealth. And United for a Fair Economy encourages people in the top 5% of wealthiest people in America, which equates to people who earn more than $200,000 a year and have more than a million dollars' worth of assets. That puts you into the top 5% of America. He encourages them to consider their wealth, to consider the inequality in America, and they have started a number of campaigns to pressure the government to increase taxes amongst the wealthy and to introduce new taxes, particularly death tax and wealth tax. There's this movement growing in America of very wealthy people saying, tax us more, take money away from us, give it to the poor. And then responsible wealth is about people being generous with what they have. I think some of the most famous people that are involved in this movement have been the Gates, who've set out foundations and have given away large chunks of their wealth. Here is this alternative, countercultural way of encountering money, started by a young man who had much, who chose to give it away. Been wondering what is the antidote to this desire to hoard, to panic about possessions, to have too much, to, to struggle with generosity. Years ago, there was um, a uh, boxer, and you may have seen this is Hollyfield, and he used to come out to the boxing ring with his um, silk robe on, and on the back it had blazoned these words from the Bible, and you can kind of see them a little bit up there. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So he'd come out then, and then he'd pummel his, his opposition because he was doing all things through Christ who strengthened him. This is taken, this verse, dramatically out of context. What was actually written, I think, is the antidote to our desire to hang on to stuff. This is one of the early followers of Jesus. His name was Paul, and he wrote this. I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What is it that we can do? We can learn to be content. I think this is one of the biggest challenges in our culture. I read this this week. The apostle says he has learned to be content. For all the radical rhetoric generated by North American 20-somethings in recent decades, no new statement is as deeply countercultural or as necessary as this ancient one. Our culture encourages us to be To hunger unceasingly for control, wealth and acclaim in a manner that is spiritually, environmentally and physically unsustainable. In a society dominated by social competition and economic acquisition, the ability to learn contentment poses the single greatest threat to this consumptive status quo. After the Twin Towers were attacked, Uh, President Bush got up and made a speech. This was a rousing speech for the people of America. We will not let our enemies defeat our way of life. We will not let them challenge what we stand for and what we believe is true and good. And we will continue our lives as they have always been. And so I say to Americans, get out, go shopping, This is America's great hope, the best they can offer. Let's continue life as we always have, get out and start shopping. Jesus offers something quite different. The strength to be content, the strength to be generous, the strength to learn to trust in the creator of the universe. So what I want to do now is pray and then have that moment of silence where we let God talk to us and challenge us. I want to ask God to challenge us over specific things. What is it in our life that we need to learn to be content with? Where is it that we struggle? Let's pray to God who can give us the strength. Loving God, you created the universe. In your economy, there is no scarcity, but through human greed, we see people in the world who have little or nothing and people who are hiding billions of dollars in secret funds. God, we have messed up. And God, the values of this world that tell us that's what we should do creep into our own thinking They make us fearful to be generous. They make us wonder what would happen if we gave that money or that thing away. Jesus, give us the strength to learn to be content. May we find joy in what is truly valuable in life, not in stuff. Help us to walk lightly through the world. May we value the environment, the beautiful world you have created. May we value our own lives enough to learn contentment. So God, we pray, come and speak to us this morning. Challenge us in areas where we struggle, where we need strength. Holy Spirit, come and empower us. Give us courage, and conviction to lead different lives.
1: I set my boat <clears throat> on the sea. The wind and waves, the water is deep. I put my trust. You can't go there. Spoken to our pain, revealing hope again. Your love has freed us. We're free indeed. Spoken to our pain, revealing hope again. Your love has freed us. We're free indeed. Spoken to our pain. Amen.
0: a seat. Thank you for coming and joining with us today. It's been an adventure.